Well, let me just pray. Father, we just thank you for this time that we come together. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you would open up our hearts today. God, you would open up our ears today. Father, we heard in prayer meeting that you want to take us higher, to come up higher, to actually see things from where you, um, where you see them. That, Father, that as you said, your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our, way, our thoughts, but they are so much higher. God, and you then tell us that you will um, lead us forth in peace and that we will go out with joy. And so we pray today, Father, that as, as your word is spoken, that, Father, we would receive it with joy, Lord, and it would re- um, we would not return void, but it would accomplish that for which you sent it. So give us ears to hear today. Lord, we just remove all distraction, all thinking of what we've come from and what we have to do afterwards. Lord, would you attune our attention to you today, to your word, for your word is life and your word is all that satisfies. So we pray, Father, for an open, an openness today to receive all that you have in your precious name. Amen. Well, today I want to speak a message that, um, that the Lord's laid on my heart over the last few weeks, and really it's been a theme at Hillside. I mean, you might be picking up little snippets, but the, the message is, come, let us arise and build together. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There is a time to tear down, but there is also a time to build. And I believe that um, in this season of Hillside, that it is a time to build, to rebuild. Um, And I want to look at a little bit of Nehemiah today and what they were actually called to rebuild, what came against them in the rebuild and how they came together in unity to accomplish that which God had put on their hearts. But to get us into the building mood, I thought I'd share a few builder jokes. In fact, I have an excellent joke about construction, but I still need to work on it. (laughs) I know. Blame Dave. Blame Dave if you don't think they're that funny. He's like, Carl, you need to draw them in. You need to get some jokes. So he went and he um, found me some jokes. So this is another one. Why did the plumber have to quit his job fixing baths, sinks and showers? The work was just too draining. (laughs) My boss gave me the task of attaching two pieces of wood together. I nailed it. (laughs) And this is Dave's favourite. What do they call Bob the Builder after he retired at 65? Bob. (laughs) He'll be appearing after the service if anyone wants to hear more. But in all seriousness, I believe that God is actually saying to Hillside Church that there is a season of rebuilding the walls like Nehemiah and, the, um, and rebuilding the gates like Nehemiah did. And you know the story, Jerusalem was in a, in a wreck, things had been broken down, there were gaps in the walls and there were gates that were broken down. And so 
the call for the people was to actually scope out what needed to be repaired and actually come together and rebuild. And I feel like that's begun to happen. There's been a assessing of the land, so to speak, uh, um, looking around, and the elders have done that, pastors have done that, but there is a, oh, and we've started to rebuild, but there is a call, I believe, an invitation for us all to come together and rebuild. Um, it's not to say that it's been bad, it's just that there's been gaps and there's been things that have been broken um, for a variety of reasons, but the Lord is calling us, I believe, in unity to um, to do the work of the Lord in this place. And so today my message is um, a time to rise up and build. Now I'm not talking about literal buildings, we're not building new buildings. So, so what are we to build? We might build new buildings, but that's not what I'm talking about. What are we to build? If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. It says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, this is Paul talking, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it has been burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Now, this passage is talking about we are co-laborers with Christ. We are co- we're part of what God is building here at Hillside. We're part of what God is building in his kingdom. But the, the challenge and the encouragement is really it asks the question, what are you building what foundation are you building on? Are you building with worldly to try and get worldly gain? Or are you building with an eternal perspective? See, Jesus said, I will build my church. Yet the call is to be part of that mission as co-workers of Christ. And so whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we're in between, I believe that there's an invitation as a church today to arise and come together and to rebuild, to work together to fulfill God's heart and his blueprint for this house. But there also may be things that the Lord's laying on your heart to build. For some, you may be literally in a new season and God is saying, you know, it's time to rebuild Maybe there's things that God has given, given you that he's saying, I want you to build, but it's been tough. And so today I want to look at the story of Nehemiah, who provides some keys for us today in how we are to build, but also look at some of the battles that they had in the rebuild and how we can come together as one, one people to fulfill what God has said in this time, in this season so the, f- the first key to rebuild is Nehemiah had a burden to build. Now, most of us are familiar with the story, but I just want to give some context around this. So Nehemiah was an ordinary man. 
He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was actually a Jew that worked in the palace as a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And the Jews, his people, had been exiled under the Babylonians in 586 BC and everything was destroyed. But when the Persians, when the Persians defeated the Babylonians, they began to allow some of those exiles to return back to their homeland so that they could then rebuild. However, their efforts were stopped and they never finished. So Nehemiah hears from some men who had been there that had come to him that things weren't going well. Some men, including his brother, had come back to him to give a report of how things were going in Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah 1 verse 3, we hear this report. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So without walls, without gates, the Jews were open to ridicule, ridicule and they were open to attack. They were no longer protected, but ultimately God's glory was not being displayed. And so when Nehemiah hears this, his heart sinks. And in verse 4, it says that he sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. His heart broke for the state of Jerusalem, for the ruins and for the people. And so in that place, he received a burden to rebuild. For him, the call to build started with a soft heart. And the call for us as hillsiders, it's the same. It starts with a soft heart. A heart that is after God, but then is moved by the heart of God. So we need a heart after God, but then we need a heart that is moved by the heart of God. We need a soft heart. And so with a soft heart, Nehemiah repented on behalf of the people who had disobeyed God and for the state that the walls and Jerusalem was in. And he stood in the gap and he prayed for favour to be able to, to do something. And so then he goes to the king and the king notices something's off for Nehemiah. He notices that he doesn't seem his normal chirpy self, that he's feeling, he's looking a bit downcast. And so he says, what's wrong? And so Nehemiah tells him what's going on. And, and the king says to him, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, I want to rebuild. And I believe God is saying to us today, what do you, what do you want? God doesn't ask us because he doesn't know. He asks us so that we will know. And it's not a selfish want, but I believe God is wanting to give us a God-given want, a God-given burden here today. Some of us have that already, but I believe he's wanting to give us a heart for his house. And so Nehemiah is allowed to go and he goes alone and he inspects the mess and what a mess it is. He can't believe how broken it is. But he scopes out the land and then he goes back. And when he goes back, he gathers the workers, the people together to help rebuild the walls. Why was he so intent on rebuilding? 
His heart was that God would be glorified. And so the first thing that happened was that the people got a burden to build. I believe God is wanting us to have his heart for this house, his heart for what he is doing, in order that we might come together and rebuild and continue to lay upon the foundation that has already been laid by Christ. I believe that he's wanting to give us a heart that is not satisfied where things are at, a heart where we would desire to build for the next generation, a heart that says, God, I'm not... I want this, uh, this house, the glory in this house to be greater than when it was in the past. I believe he's wanting to give us his burden. And, and some of you already have that. And I feel the encouragement to you is not to grow weary in that, not to become disheartened in that. And for some of us, that burden has become a literal burden, a weight upon our shoulders. And he's not wanting that either. That as we lay that down and say, Lord, this is your heart. I believe he's wanting them to strengthen our hands to, to rebuild. I believe he's wanting to give us a heart for one another and the next generation, not just for the people that we sit next to, but for the people all around us. And, you know, we began to, we've seen that. We saw that at camp. One of my favourite pictures was when Elizabeth Beattie and a few of the other ladies were playing cards with some of the young children. And they had so much joy interacting together. So my question today is, what is God giving you a burden for? What is it that you want? For some of us, maybe we've just become distracted and we've just, we've lost that burden. We've lost that heart through, through various things. We've got tired. I believe God's wanting to give us a fresh burden for his kingdom again, that we would see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that God did in them, in the people, is that he gave them a burden to build. But the second thing that happened is that they strengthened their hands to build. Let's jump to chapter 2. Nehemiah 2 verse 17. It says, then I said to them, this is Nehemiah saying to the people, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And one of the things that stood out to me in this verse was, let us. So they, it goes on, um, that they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah didn't do it by himself. You're not called to do it by, him, by yourself. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, we see the power of we, the power of unity. We see the coming together of the people. And in chapter 3, that they came together family upon family, with Nehemiah, to rebuild in order that God would be glorified. You know, and, and he, um, he, he has this strategy and he puts them side by side along the wall, each of them having something to do, each of them being part of it, 
So, you know, some on the tools, some praying, but they all had a part and they were all given a section. Every age, every person was involved. And the whole point, the whole point they're building to their unity was that God would be glorified, that his will would be done on earth as in heaven. But then in chapter 4, 5 and 6, there was a battle to the building. And I feel like when God gives us a burden, when God gives us a vision, and I'm talking corporately as a house here, but you can also apply it to the things that God is calling you to do in his kingdom. When God gives you a burden and a vision and a heart, then often we come into opposition. And it wasn't long until they faced opposition in their work. Worsby, Warren Worsby, he writes um, a lot of commentaries. They're very good. If you ever find commentaries hard to read, I encourage you to listen to uh, read Warren Worsby because he's very practical, very easy to understand. And he says that when you start building, you will soon start battling. See, the enemy doesn't care if we aren't a threat and are lazy and indifferent to God's heart and God's cause. But he is concerned if we start to do something. He is concerned by a soft heart, a heart after God, and strong hands that build God's kingdom. See, back in 1 Corinthians 3, the challenge was you are God's co-workers called to build things at last. And, and the, um, the challenge was don't get caught up in building things that don't last. Don't get caught up in building things that will be perished with the fire. Actually build with care. You know, building takes work. So know that what you are building is the right thing. The goal of the enemy was quite subtle and it's still subtle today. In chapter 6, verse 9, we see the, the goal and it says they were all trying to frighten us. So the enemy, there was three, three in particular that would come and just taunt and just try and come and bring down their work. And it constantly came, these three, these three ones would come against them. And Nehemiah realised that they were all just trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. So the enemy was doing everything he could to oppose the work that needed to be done. And what he was trying to do was to bring weak hands and a hard heart. So the Lord wants us to have a soft heart and strong hands, but the enemy comes to bring a hard heart and weak hands. And weak hands to stop the work so we give up and we, st- and we don't keep going. We don't persevere. We don't finish See, Jesus said, I have bought you glory. Was it Jesus or was it Paul? I bought you glory by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So there's such a temptation to give up for our hands to droop down, for our hands to become weak, and we give up. We become weary. But I feel like the Lord is saying to us, particularly today, come strengthen your hands once again. And so we need to be aware of how the enemy works so that we don't give way, so we don't allow him to come. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, I am not, I'm un, I'm not a, unaware of the enemy's schemes. I'm not 
naive to the enemy's plans. We don't fixate on it, but we're just aware so that we have discernment to shut it down and not allow him to come and, and to weaken our hands and harden our hearts. So what were some of these schemes? The first was there was external opposition. In chapter 4 and 6, I had these three guys that just kept trying to wear down the workers. And the first tactic that they use and the first tactic that our enemy uses is deception. Deception was used to try and distract Nehemiah and to trick him to come away from his work, to stop the work and to be a part of what they were planning. And so the enemy tried to get him to meet with him four times. And each time Nehemiah said, no, I'm not. Why should I come away from my work? Why should I come down to you and the work stop? And he kept saying, no, I will not go down. See, Nehemiah had discernment to discern that it was deception. Now, another time Nehemiah said in verse 8, I sent them this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. See, Nehemiah discerned the lies from the truth. And we know that Satan is called the father of lies. And a lot of our battle in, the, in our spiritual warfare is between truth and lies. Our feelings often lie to us. Our thoughts often lie to us. You know, and, and deception can be subtle. We're not, we don't know that we're deceived. See, once we know we are deceived, we are no longer deceived. Once we know we're deceived, we're no longer deceived. And we need discernment because it's very subtle. Sometimes there's an element of truth, but it's not the whole truth. And the enemy will try to come with these thoughts and with these things to deceive us and to bring deception. And then we end up partnering with the lies and it becomes a stronghold in our life. The other major opposition to them was discouragement and intimidation. See, for the people in chapter 4, the rubble, the ruins, so discouraged them. They were so overwhelmed by the state of things. The enemy discouraged them. You can't do this. You'll never, you'll never get it done. See, look at the people before you. They, they never got it done. You'll never get it done. It's always going to be like this. And there was this discouragement. But again, Nehemiah discerned the schemes of the enemy. And in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. Deception, discouragement and intimidation are all designed to weaken our hands. In another translation, it says they we're trying to weaken our hands. But there was not only external opposition, there was also internal opposition. And in chapter 5, Nehemiah or the chapter 5 really speaks about internal opposition to bring division and to attack the unity of the people. So the enemy knows if he can attack the unity, he can stop the work. 
And the problem in chapter 5 involved money. It wasn't so much the money to rebuild because the king had said, look, I'll give you all that you need. I'll give you the resources, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. But it was money problems among the people and that harmed the unity. So there were niggles amongst them about how much the rebuild was costing them personally and they wanted to stop so that they could go and get grain for their households. There were stresses because they were in a famine and the cost of living, the cost of food had gone up and the rich were exploiting that, people were exploiting that and then they were needing to borrow land of them and they were charging so much interest that the people couldn't afford to pay and so they were selling some of their children into slavery. So Nehemiah becomes angry because these money problems were being caused by people's greed but also because these money problems were leading to a lack of unity amongst the people. And that was the main thing. So regardless of the enemy's opposition to them, the intent was the same, to weaken their hands to stop the work. The enemy knows if he can get in amongst us, he can weaken our hands and he can stop the work here. And so how did they strengthen their hands? How do we strengthen our hands? So what is God calling us to build here? But also what is he calling you to build in your spheres of influence? The first thing that they did was they prayed. See, Nehemiah was a man of prayer, which also made him a man of discernment. And that's why he could discern quite quickly the enemy's plans. So the enemy was trying to deceive him so that he could distract him. But because Nehemiah was determined to keep his eyes on the Lord and what the Lord was saying, the enemy couldn't get a way in. The book of Nehemiah starts with prayer, ends with prayer and has prayer in the middle. Now, when they were facing with opposition in chapter 6, verse 9, and the enemy was trying to discourage them, intimidate them, and weaken their hands, Nehemiah prayed this prayer, O Lord, strengthen my hands. So we can't do anything without God's strength. And Nehemiah faced such a mammoth task of rebuilding that in his own strength, he could accomplish nothing. The people were also aware of the enemy's scheme. So Nehemiah had positioned them so they would have a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. But they were always on guard. In fact, sometimes there was people working along the wall and then he would station someone to protect. In other words, to pray, to, to watch. Worsby says, The Christian worker who can get along comfortably without prayer isn't getting much done for God and certainly isn't threatening the enemy too much. Prayer is the greatest way that we can strengthen our hands. And if your hands are feeling weary, if you're feeling weary today, can I encourage you to get in his presence? Prayer and being in his presence is what strengthens us. I notice that in chapter 8, Nehemiah said that the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
And that can only come out of a lifestyle of prayer and being in his presence. So when we get busy, the temptation is to neglect prayer. But prayer is actually what strengthens us. It's also what gives us discernment. The second thing to strengthen our hands was that Nehemiah preserved the unity. See, unity is key in repairing the walls. And unity does not mean that we all do the same thing. See, everyone had a section of the wall. Everyone has different gifts, but they had the same heart and the same purpose. There is power in unity, and Satan knows that. And that's why he loves to see division happen. But the people together, despite the opposition, built the walls in 52 days. That was incredible. They came together in unity. You know, think about what happened in Genesis 11 when the people came together to build the Tower of Babel. God had a look of what they were building. They weren't building for his plans. They were building for their own gain. But God comes down and has a look and he says, there is, God said nothing they set out to do would be impossible for them because of their unity. So he brings division to the people to confuse their languages so that they can't work together anymore. Enemy knows this. He knows that there is nothing that they set out to do in unity will be impossible for them. There's power in unity, in having the one heart, the one mind, one voice. But not only that, unity brings glory to God. Paul prayed in Romans 15 verse 5. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. God wants to give us the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ has towards us. And what is that attitude of mind? What did Christ, what did Christ have? What was his attitude of mind? Philippians 2 tells us where he did not consider equality to be God, with God to be something that was above anyone, but he humbled himself. And it talks about not having selfish ambition, but considering others better than yourself, looking out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. Love and humility are all the markers of unity. And when we go, God, give me your heart for one another, we see unity grow in this place because unity comes when there's love. And it comes through the Spirit and it's the Spirit who gives us a deep love for one another. It comes about as we are given his heart together for this house where we're not literally building walls but we're building his kingdom. And it's not only that it brings glory to God, it's a witness to the world. John, Jesus prayed for us in John 17 that we would be brought to complete unity. Then the world would know that you sent me. So the world will know 
when we are walking as one. And I believe that God is really strengthening the unity at Hillside. We've seen that through intentionally building community and through the camps and through what happened here for the home base camp. And we're not just doing it because they're fun things to do. They are fun things to do, but they actually bring people together. And I loved on Monday night we had prayer meeting here and Ken um, just prayed and thanked God for the unity that was so evident through that camp video where people came together and ate together and um, played together and prayed together, worshipped together. God is calling us together to rebuild what he's called us here. And that's why Satan seeks to divide the church and the church, the wider church. The third thing of strengthening their hands was they had purpose. Nehemiah and the people had a clear purpose, a clear vision of what they were called to do. And this helped them fight distraction. See, people perished without a vision. And it strengthened their unity because they came together. They knew what their purpose was. If we don't know what we're fighting for, we will quickly lose the fight. Wesby says, when everything else fails, the call of God will give you the strength and resolution you need to get the job done. I can have Tristan. Great. So what are we called to build at Hillside? Why are we called to arise and build? I just want to leave you with three really practical things that we can take ourselves. The first thing, I've touched on things, but I just want to summarise it into three things. First thing I believe God is saying is we need to build ourselves up in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Jude, Jude encourages the people to persevere. And he says, in the last days, there will be people who will divide you, who follow their own agendas because they don't have the spirit. But in verse 20, he says, but you, dear friends, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So the first thing we need to build up We need to build up in our faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not a doing in our own self. That's just saying, God, would you strengthen my hands? And I feel like that's what the Lord wants to do today in some people. Lord, would you build me up? Lord, I've I've wavered. I've become a bit complacent. I've become a bit disheartened. Would you build me up in my faith that I may stay strong? Finish the task that you've called me to do. So we can, it's only when we get into his presence that he gives us his heart and his burden. So we can't manufacture a a heart for this house. We can't manufacture a heart for his people. But when we get with him, with the Jesus, when we get 
in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are built up. And then what ends up overflowing is a heart for others. And Jude goes on to say, have mercy for those that are perishing. Snatch those out of the fire. But it started with build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. And then out of that comes a heart for others. And so the second thing we need to build up is we need to build others up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. I believe there's a call for us today to build one another up. Some of us just come and they love to rush off and go, but I feel like God is saying, I want you to, I want you to get to know people here. I want you to build community, to build unity, to build, encourage people, get to know people, pray for one another, have a heart for one another. And the final thing I believe he's calling us to do here at Hillside is to build the house. So we all have a responsibility. Sometimes we think, well, that's the pastor's responsibility. It's their job to build the house. We'll just sit back and watch him build the wall. And then we like to say, you know, you're doing it wrong here. You've missed a brick here. You forgot to put that over there. You know, the statistics say that 20% of people in the church participate and 80% spectate. Now, I believe we're much higher here at Hillside, but wouldn't it be incredible if we were all participating in our own way? You know, you may be like, nah, my building days are done. Been there, done that, had my time. I'm just sitting back and I'm just watching now. But you know, in Nehemiah's world, whether they were young, whether they were old, they were all part of it. There are seasons where we have to reinvent ourselves. I realized recently leading a camp, I haven't led a camp, I haven't run a camp since I was a single youth pastor 20 years ago where I didn't have a husband, didn't have children. It was just me. This time I have three children that I'm also meant to look after and, and you know, run, run things and it was harder. It was different and my capacity, it changes. It's not the same. And so we go through different seasons and we have to reinvent. What I loved about Nehemiah and the wall was that there were some that were on the tools, but there were others that were standing against each one of the tools as a post praying. Well, they were protecting, but I believe they were praying. You know, a lot of revivals have started when the older generation have had such a heart for the house because they've remembered. So the, there were people there building, they remembered the glory of the former days. And in Haggai, they're like, Lord, let it be so much greater. Let your glory be greater than it was. They had a heart to build for the next generation, a heart to pray. And I've seen, you know, it's when, the, when people have come together to pray that revival has come. What is it that God's given you a burden for? What part of the wall is he calling you to work on? And that will often be where your burden is. You know, is it the youth? And it may not be doing the youth ministry on Friday, but maybe it's like, you know what? I'm going to commit to pray for the young people. And don't just say it to the Lord. Don't just commit unto the Lord. 
go and tell the youth leader, go and tell Pastor Jackie, hey, God's put a burden on my heart for the youth and I just want you to let you know that I'm praying. And if you need anything, you let me know because I'm praying. You know, maybe God's put a burden on your heart for someone. Go and tell them, Lord. Let them know that you are praying for them. You know, maybe he's put a burden on your heart to pray. We have Monday nights, once a month prayer meeting. We have every Sunday morning out at the back, 8, 8.15 onwards. Maybe he said he's put on your heart that you have a heart for worship, whatever it is. We're all called. The call is to come together to arise and build. And if we don't, why would we give up? Why are we called to build? Number one, so that we would bring glory to God. And finally, to be a witness to others so others may come. There's a scripture in Acts 15, verse 16. And it really resonated with me. And it says, after this, I'm coming back. I'll I'll rebuild David's ruined house. I'll put all the pieces together again. I'll make it look like new. So outsiders who seek will find. So they'll have a place to come to. And I believe part of our call at Hillside is to rebuild so that outsiders will come. And have a place and find Christ. Have a place of safety and refuge. Nehemiah was called so there would be no more gaps in the wall. And the picture I have was like one of Jenga. You know in that game Jenga, you've got the, the blocks all lined up. And if you take one out, you put it on top, there's a gap. And you keep taking one out and there's a gap. And eventually when there's so many gaps, it becomes unstable. The whole thing crashes. God's heart for this house, there would be no more gaps. But each one of you have a part to play. What is God calling you to do? Build yourself up, build others up, build the house. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this place, this church has been around for so many years, Lord, and it, it was built by people who sacrificed so much, who, who counted the cost, but was determined to build for the next generation. God, I pray that, I thank you that we get the opportunity to continue that, to be part of what you're building here to be part of what you're building in the kingdom. Lord, you rebuke the people in Haggai who were fixed on building their own houses and their own plans while the temple laid in a ruin. God, let us not be that people. Let us build with things of eternal value. God, I pray for people whose hands have become weak whose hands have become weary, who have been discouraged and disheartened, who's felt attacked even by others. I pray, Father, strengthen their hands. 
I just really believe that the Lord wants to strengthen hands. If that's you today, why don't you just lift your hands up? God, you want to lift off a spirit of weariness. Lord, when we labor by ourselves, when we carry the burden alone, we get weary. We feel isolated. And some of, some of your people have felt like they've been doing it alone. I felt isolated. But God, I pray that they would know they're part of a body. Part of strengthening the hands is coming together as a family of God to build each other up, to encourage one another. You're doing a good job. Keep going. I'm praying for you. I'm championing you on. God, would you strengthen your people today? That you would lift up our heads. You would lift up our hands. God, we just break off any assignment from the enemy to come and weaken what has been built here. Lord, we pray, we ask you to forgive us where we've become slack, where we've done our own thing. You're not calling us to do our own thing. You're calling us to come together, work together. I keep hearing the Bob the Builder song in my head all week. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Working together to get the job done. Lord, that's what your heart is for us here. But I pray where people feel like what you have done in their lives has been in, is in ruins. That it's just a mess. It's all, all they see is rubble. God, would you encourage them today that you're bringing beauty out of ashes. That you're doing something new. That you've not forgotten them. That you have not finished. And you will complete that which you've started. Encourage your people. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything this morning, if, if, if you just feel like, God, I just want to get in your presence, Lord, I've lost the heart for this place. Or, Lord, my hands are weak, my hands are tired. If you want prayer, altars open. Or if you're feeling like I said, I'm just so discouraged by the rubble of my life. You just need to be encouraged today. We want to pray for you. Get some of our team to pray. If you just want to sit in his presence, you can do that. But remember, build build yourself up, build others up, build the house. Have a good week. <laughs>